Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who may not know, there are two things you need to know about me. One is I see differently, you know, so uh, you may be saying, stop, stop, it's time, quit. <laughs> I can't see you that way. So I need you to speak to me, right, and let me know what is going on. That's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is that because of this uh, state of uh, being that I'm in, I pay close attention to what I hear, and I heard some really good music just before I got up here. That's an outstanding pianist over there. I also heard some very good readings as well. So let me give claps to that. I am very pleased to be here. And uh, if you have noticed the title of my sermon, Around the World Ends in Hope, uh, it has a lot to do with what I want to say today, as you would think. I wouldn't be here standing before you if the universe had not converged in such a way that allowed me to walk in the opening. Around the world, well, what does that truly mean? That means that people are doing things globally that has an effect on us locally. And we cannot separate global from local. Uh, specifically, your pastor, uh, my Reverend Sister Kathy, is away attending General Assembly. That's our great meeting of Association of Congregations this year that will be held in Columbus, Ohio. And so because she is a person of character and thoughtfulness, she asked for a replacement to come and fill this pulpit. That person is another Reverend sister of mine, Reverend Tamara Labak. Reverend Tamara, on this day, is unable to be in the pulpit with you because she is with her wife in a service that is uniting folks of different traditions, religious traditions, around the issue of uh, a response to Orlando and uplifting what needs to be done in its stead. The fact that love is, is much more powerful than hate and that we stand on the side of love. Despite what you may believe in your tradition, we stand on the side of love. And so she thought it's important for her to be with her partner in that stance. And so she telephoned me and said, Reverend Brother Gerald, would you mind coming to that wonderful place up on the hill <laughs> that they call Hope? And of course, without hesitation, I said yes. And Reverend Kathy, Sister Reverend Kathy, called me and said, I hear that you want to be in our pulpit. <laughs> and I said, I do, I do. And so here I am. But you understand these factors that are out there all really have something to do with us. Let me get a little bit more more specific here. At our General Assembly, we're going to be tackling some large issues, church, because 
that theme is about the heartland where faiths connect. The heartland. The heartland where faiths connect. And in that, in that theme, there are going to be some demonstrable issues discussed and agreed upon, hopefully. Our uh, uh, president of the UUA, Peter Morales, has understood that interfaith connections is where we must go, that multi-faith traditions must come together, united on issues, and bring about the change that we so much covet. So Peter Morales has invited people from different traditions to be a part of this General Assembly. So we will have people from the uh, Reform uh, uh, Judaism, Union of Reform Judaism. Uh, we will have people there from the Islamic Circle of America. Uh, we will have uh, folks in the United States who uh, are, 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 are champions of social change. We'll have my favorite radio personality, Krista Tippett from On Being, she's going to be at our GA. We're going to have the Reverend Dr. William Barber of Moral Mondays, he's going to be there. Uh, Ann Richards' daughter, uh, 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 Cecilia, uh, uh, come on now. <laughs> Celia, I know. <laughs> it, was, it was there. Richards, the director of Planned Parenthood, and I hope you know what she just tore up that hearing where they wanted to try to dismember Planned Parenthood, and she was just right on it. I was just so excited about Celia Richards. She's going to be there. And then the, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, Alicia Garza, she is also going to be there. I mean, this is going to be a general assembly to remember. And you can also look on it online and see some of the worship services. <clears throat> now, those issues that Peter Morales is illuminating for us those issues about multi-faith traditions coming together to do the good work in the name of racial justice and doing the healing that has to be done has something to do with right now, doesn't it? Because we have what happened in Orlando, why Tamara is not here. Because she is saying, I have to stand and let people know that you don't have to believe alike to love alike. And I have to be here. And so I hear her. I hear her what she's saying. The struggle is on around this whole issue. No matter what motivated that person to take that AR-15 into that sacred place. Because parenthetically, let just let me say this. This wasn't just a club. This just wasn't a club. This was a place where people who are different could feel whole. And so often, that was the only place you could go and not feel estranged. And so a gay club is not just a gay club. It's a sacred space. And here is a person who went into that sacred space and hurt people. And you know those people were brown and black, mostly. Brown and black people. So we have a need to do some healing around this whole issue of race. And we're going to be doing that up in Columbus, starting that conversation on race. So Tamara is, is in the midst of doing something here. 
that allowed me to be in here. So I'm not going to spare us, y'all. <laughs> we need to talk about some stuff. We need to talk about racial healing and racial justice. And we need to talk about interfaith connections and multi-faith actions. We need to do that right here in this space. So uh, buckle up. <laughs> There is uh, so often stories that are told about uh, how important it is to be proud of where you are and who you are. And those stories all seem to elevate the enormity of wanting to be liked, you know? And I had a personal story where I, I had that opportunity. I was on a flight. Uh, from San Diego uh, to Tulsa by way of Denver. And sitting next to me uh, was a person uh, who engaged in conversation with me. She was a person of color. And uh, the normal conversation ensued, you know, uh, how you doing? Uh, this your first flight? Uh, where you going? You know, that sort of thing. And uh, I said I was on my way home to Oklahoma. And she went, Oklahoma? <laughs> First, are there black people in Oklahoma? <laughs> oh, yes, we are. And I launched into the mighty feats of people who are from Oklahoma, who are people of color. And then she said, mm-hmm. She said, you know, Oklahoma, that when I hear that name, I think of disasters. You know, you, you all have just, you know, tornadoes and bombings and, and people just killing each other. And oh, God, why would you want to live in Oklahoma? And from San Diego or thereabouts to Denver, where she got off, I told a story of Oklahoma. <laughs> what a great place we are. It's the land of the free and the home of the brave where the buffalo roam and all that good stuff. I was really into it. And she would, she would laugh and go, oh, okay. And then finally, as we were approaching Denver, she said, you know what? I'm afraid you're in denial. <laughs> she says, but I'm getting off this plane and I wish you well. <laughs> so church, you know, the real deal here is we don't need to shame, be shameful about our home. But at the same time, we got to tell it like it is. We got to call it. We got to say, no, wait a minute, Governor Failing. You know, we need a little bit more leadership from you. And we got to tell our state legislature, hold on, we're the laughing stock. And we can't have that anymore. We need to not uh, balance our budget on the backs of the poor. We cannot uh, allow for you to get all distracted and say, let's outlaw abortion, make it a felony, as if that's going to happen. We can't do that anymore, and we can't stand for that kind of foolishness anymore. We vote, church, and we need to let them know that th this is not acceptable. So, so... I live in Oklahoma, but I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid anymore. 
I'm, I'm going to tell the story, and I'm telling the story, and I want all of you all to understand that this is huge. Uh, our Chamber of Commerce, bless their hearts, they're led by a man who has decided to tell the truth. And so he is telling the truth, and people are pointing fingers and saying, no, that's bad, you should not do that, and blah, blah. But he's telling it like it is. Our Chamber of Commerce uh, president said, we lost 51, near $52 million in bad publicity because of what that state legislature did. And still, I see the headline that says, don't tell anyone, but at the end of the year, we're going to have a $100 million surplus because we cut so much, just willy-nilly. Ooh, look at all the money we have now. But we're going to give it back. We'll give it back in proportion to the amount of the cuts that were made as if that's going to happen. I don't like that, the fact that they didn't do their homework before they started cutting. And now we wind up looking like we got a $100 million surplus. That's ridiculous, church. It's time for us to call these people to account. And that is, that is our job. Not only our job as citizens, but you know we come from a tradition, a religious faith that demands that we do this, church. See, when you sign that book that said you're a Unitarian Universalist, two things occurred. One, you said, I'm going to put my time, talent, and treasure toward this congregation that you signed. And the second thing was, this is a religious faith that is liberal. That's a good word, church. <laughs> liberal. It is liberal in the sense of it doesn't keep their eyes closed to the world that is around us. But it allows us to look the world with even temper and call it the way it is. If it is not good for the poor, it is, if it is oppressing, and if it is telling power that stay there, we don't want anything from you, just keep on doing what you're doing, then you're not liberal. Because liberal means that you have a universal aspect of life, that you're inclusive, that you bring all of us under this tent. Why do we do that? We do that because we believe that's the way it's supposed to be, the way the world is constructed. What is that great uh, Unitarian, James Luther Adams, that said the universe is long, but it bends toward justice? That's a Unitarian universalist that said that. We could go on and on about the great religious thinkers of our association. And we stand on their shoulders and they're bending a little bit because we're not doing it. We're not our burden. We're becoming a heavy burden. And we're supposed to be an easy burden, church. They did the hard work and now we're standing on their shoulders, but we can't be standing still. We have to be moving. Our tradition says that. Our tradition says that. Now, what does our tradition say about this whole multi-faith? Now, you know, I'm, I'm really biased in this area because our little church of the Restoration is a multi-faith place. We have, uh, on first Sundays, the Humanist Society of Tulsa has our service on the first Sunday. We have within our service, we have, not within our service, but within the house of worship, we share that with the Muslim American community. These are African Americans who are Muslim. And okay, for those who say, now, does that mean they're uh, 
nation of Islam, those radical separatists? Is that what Reverend is saying? No, let me parenthetically give you a little history. When Elijah Muhammad, who was the head of the nation of Islam, died, his son, who took over, said, time out, followers, we have not been following Islam under my father. Bless his heart, he rests in peace right now, but that was not Islam what we did. Now we will become followers of Islam, and we will learn the Holy Quran. We will speak that, and our services will be changed. Our outlook will be changed because we will follow Islam. And that's what happened. That's what happened. So all those folks who went with the son became followers of Islam. But the group that stayed with the idea of the nation of Islam, that small group remained. And that's who you have in Chicago under Louis Farrakhan. And even Louis Farrakhan is saying, uh, well, let's, let's get a little closer to our Islamic brothers and understand what is going on. And they are moving in that direction. Praise God. So they are moving away from being a separatist group and moving into the flow of interfaith understanding. But the original group that said, now we're going with Islam, that's the group that meets at our church, the Muslim American community. And some would say, but there's a very large Islamic society of Tulsa, Reverend Gerald. How come that group doesn't go there? And that gets back into racial justice because this society of the United States of America does a lot of separating people and they give a lot of credence to you're better than. And so people feel that, church. Folks who are not like the majority sometimes feel like I'm being treated differently, even in a place of peace, in a religious house. So they feel much more comfortable not being uh, told, well, you didn't pronounce that word just right, or, okay, we do it this way, but this way is actually a cultural tradition, and it is not Islamic. So that's a little parenthetically, just to say that that's the kinds of things that happen when you're not moving with the flow of love. But when you're moving with a cultural perspective, sometimes you bend away from justice, right? So they meet at, at our place, the house of worship. So we have Muslims meeting there. We have humanists. We have a secular, secular uh, sobriety group that meets there. They just said, we don't, we don't even want to bring religion into it. You know, we have a multi-faith, interfaith, interreligious pot of brew going on up there, you know? <laughs> and it's important for us to keep that going. So Peter Morales is urging us to get involved in interfaith activities. And this church is doing that. I know you are. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> I know you're doing that. And, and the part one of them is what we're trying to get the Tulsa Sponsoring Committee, the Industrial Areas Foundation chapter here in Tulsa. We're getting that going. That's an interfaith effort with Jews and Muslims and Unitarians and Christians. We're all in there together, moving together toward a better place. Peter Morales understands, though, that when you have all this going on, you got to have conversations, the subset. And this is the hard part, church. We don't always dialogue together. We may stand together in public, 
We may even honor each other's holidays or festival days. But when it's a heart-to-heart -heart conversation one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes it's not easy. And many folks who have undertaken the work of healing racially, they have found that there is a way to do that. And those are affinity groups, where you have white folks talking about race with each other, and people of color talking about race with each other, and then coming together to talk about race with each other. But part of that, and I, and you know, when I first, and I got to, I, I do, okay, because I see differently, I don't write my sermons. But you know, my heart is there, and I do a lot of parent, uh, parentheses. So here's another parenthetical thing, a little story. But it's all about, sometimes we, we, uh, we, we embrace without thinking, you know? And when the, when the whole idea of affinity groups came to me, uh, and it was brought to me, my initial response was, I did that in college. We had black uh, student unions and caucuses in college. We don't need to do that anymore. We, we did that in order to get our courage up, you know? We had to get our courage together in order to say to the powers that be, this is what I feel, and this is what needs to be done. And those groups were helpful in that you got that going because people said to you, yes, and you got that affirmation and you could say it. So I said, we don't need that anymore. But then uh, I learned that this is not about getting courage up. This is about healing, church, because of the many microaggressions that occur every day. And people are not thinking about it intentionally as they aggress so another person, but it happens because they're not thinking intentionally. And those microaggressions hurt. It's like a thousand little paper cuts, you know? Pretty soon it's like, ooh, this finger is hurting me so badly, and my hand is hurting so badly. So in these healing places, I have found that so much of what was submerged comes out, and that's important to talk about why you need healing. Now, in those white affinity groups, so much guilt and shame comes out, and that's right. You don't have anybody there saying, yes, that's right, feel guilty and feel shameful for what you did. No, they're saying, yes, I know what you're saying. I feel that too. Now, how can we get past that in order to hear the other person so we don't face what our guilt and shame and that's all we have? So those strategies are developing these affinity groups and that's the conversation that needs to be held here as well as other places. You need to be able to talk to one another in such a way that you're honest about this. And when you're honest about healing and racial justice, miraculous things begin to happen. People know when you're real. I like, that's one of the reasons I like coming here. Because folks are real here. Y'all just laugh when you want to laugh. <laughs> you know? And, you, and when you don't feel good about it, you say it. You know? And you have good times, good fun. I like being in a place that's real. You can feel it and you feel like, okay, I can be real too. That's what happens when you open yourself to the possibilities. So, once again, right here at Hope, we can do some of the things going on outside of this house. We can do them right here and be a part of something larger than who we are. 
because we are Unitarians. And we say, because we say every person has inherent worth and dignity, because we say that, that's why we have to do it. Because we say that we stand for justice, equity, and compassion, because we say that, that's why we have to do it. Because we say we believe in a democratic way of arriving to conclusions. That's why we have to be inclusive and say, yes, we're going to do that. And because we say we are part of the interdependent web of life, that's why we invite and open our arms and say, come on in this house. It's important for us, church, to know that around the world ends in hope. Amen.